in uh, what is, I think, a particularly difficult passage of Scripture, let's not forget it opens with this beautiful image. The sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. Isn't that nice? It's wonderful. The, the hope would be when we hear that phrase and think about that image, our response would be, let's go walk with God in the garden in the time of the evening breeze. But they hid. They hid. And why did they hide? Because they were naked. <laughs> That's what the text tells us. Why did they hide? They were naked. Uh, and and kind of metaphorically, if we're going to think about this, is they can be seen for who they really are. And they're ashamed of that. This is a sad state of affairs from where we were a few weeks ago in the Garden of Eden or in the sixth day of creation when human beings are created in the image of God. They can be seen for who they really are, and they're ashamed. Here is the worst consequence of sin that is easily missed among the, the punishments or the curses that really dominate this passage. The worst consequence of sin is really in this hiding from God. It's their alienation from God, and it's our alienation from God, and our alienation from ourselves as well. Adam and Eve hid from God, but they're also ashamed of themselves before God. And that is something that is not easily fixed. This is where it becomes very clear that they can't go back to how it was before they ate the fruit. They can't go back. When sin happens, you can't easily go back to the way it was before. Now, I think human beings, as human beings, we have particularly, particular responses to sin. Uh, often we don't even want to talk about that word. We don't want to talk about sin or think about it. Um, but it is there and it's real. I think our first response is uh, not a big deal. Not a big deal. There won't, or there won't really be consequences. Or, well, this isn't really sin and this isn't really bad or, or sin isn't really there. That's kind of our first response. And it actually was in some ways, Adam and Eve's first response as well, when they had the temptation from the serpent, the serpent's temptation was, well, you're not, you're not going to die. Like, everything's okay. Um, and when they saw the fruit, oh, it looks good to eat. Um, so uh, this, is our, this is our first response, right? Not a big deal. There won't, it's not, nothing's really going to happen. It isn't sin. Then our next response, I think, is avoidance. And this is what Adam and Eve do uh, in the garden with, uh, with God. They hide from God. They hide uh, from, we, we do this as well, we'll hide from others. When we've sinned against someone, we, we then want to avoid that person. Sometimes when someone has sinned against us, we also want to avoid that person. But it alienates us from one another. It alienates us from God. It can also alienate us from ourselves. We'll almost hide, try to hide from our true selves when we've done something that we're ashamed of. So that's kind of the avoidance 
Let's just not deal with it. Then our next response when confronted is often blame or the more subtle form of just saying it's not my fault. Not I didn't do it, but well, I, yeah, okay, I did that, but it's not really my fault. Right? We, we do that all the time. And Adam and Eve uh, are not actually particularly subtle. They don't go to it's not my fault. They go straight to blame. Right? So God confronts them, and what does Eve say? Eve says, uh, the serpent tricked me <laughs> into doing it, or uh, the way we would say that the devil made me do it. That's right, like that's what she's saying, right? Adam's response, I think, is, uh, is kind of funny um, and, uh, and maybe uh, a little more telling than Eve's response. He says, the woman whom you gave to be with me gave me the fruit and I ate it. Who's he blaming? Right? Who's he blaming? He's blaming Eve and God, right? <laughs> like, and if we remember that Eve was created because God saw that it was not good that the man should be alone, Adam's kind of saying, it was better when I was alone. Like, you, God, you were wrong. Um, you gave her, and this is how it, this all got messed up. And Eve says, no, it wasn't me. It was the serpent. I got tricked into this. Now, God's response is very different than the human response. This is, what, this is what the human response is, right? Not a big deal. There won't be consequences. Nah, it, it, there isn't really such a thing as sin or avoidance. Well, okay, something bad's happened, but I'll just ignore it. I'll get away from it. When confronted, well, it's not my fault, or it's that person over there. That, you know, um, God's response is not at all like that to sin. It's so different. God's response always has judgment and grace together. And we don't like to think about the first one. We like to just jump to the, to the grace. We don't want to deal with God's judgment. Um, but it's actually quite important. And this text is, is really a lot more about God's judgment, you could argue, than it is really about God's grace. But um, it's actually good that God judges. It's actually good that God judges. We don't like that idea. We don't like the idea of a judging God. We want a loving God. And, and we think that, that a loving God and a judging God are in opposition to one another, but that's actually not right. They, that's comp they're complementary. And I, I think first, let's be honest, that we all pass judgment on others. We all do it. We, we all want to hold hold this value of you, you shouldn't be judgmental, you shouldn't judge. And even Jesus says, you know, judge not lest ye be judged. But we all pass judgment on others, don't we? Let's be honest about it. If you're not with me, if you don't really believe me, then let me just say one word to you, and then you can decide if you're making a judgment. Hitler. I'm hoping you're making a judgment. Like, I really hope you are. What about the person this week who was responsible for the bomb going off at the law offices? Are we going to make a judgment about that? Sure we are. How about the parent of the screaming child in the grocery store? Oh, what's wrong with that parent? 
What about that person who cuts you off in traffic? Oh, like, come on. All right, we're making judgments all the time about people. We judge constantly. It's just that we discriminate when we judge. And God doesn't discriminate when he judges. Here's what I mean. See, we'll judge the mom of the screaming child in the grocery store until we round the corner and we notice it's our best friend and our judgment quickly turns to sympathy. Why is that? We'll be mad at the guy who cuts us off in traffic until, and we'll chase them down in our car, planning a great glare of vengeance at them. We're going to look over as though that's going to do something. And then we find out, oh, it's our cousin. And what happens? Instead of glaring at them, we shrug our shoulders and we laugh at each other. Oh, you cut me off. That's funny. What happened? See, we're completely, we, we exercise discrimination in our judgments, don't we? It actually is wrong that the person cuts you off in traffic. God, though, does not discriminate when he judges. We all stand under God's judgment. And in that, that, that actually frees us from judging others. It's not our job. It's not our job to judge others. It's God. Uh, our judgments tend to operate on a kind of continuum, okay? Or maybe up and down is easier to understand. So Hitler is clearly bad. He's, down, he's way down here somewhere. Mother Teresa is clearly good. She's way up here somewhere. And so we're okay there, right? Like that we, We'll probably all agree on that. How about Stephen Harper? Where do you want to put him? <laughs> uh, right? Like, some, some people might, uh, I, I can't admit that I will, but some people are going to put him somewhere up here. Others are going to put him really close to here, right? And some are going to just say, well, you know, somewhere in the middle like everybody else. But that's how we operate, right, on this kind of continuum. Uh, okay, so uh, Hitler, Mother Teresa, Stephen, how about you and I? You know, where are we? Where would we be? We tend to think then, in this kind of thinking, then what has to happen is there has to be a line somewhere where we go from good to bad or bad to good. There's got to be a line somewhere. And the thing is, God doesn't have a line. All stand under God's judgment because all sin, including Mother Teresa. All are alienated from God and all are in need of something to happen to repair that alienation. So in our story today, God punishes Adam and Eve. And God does that because God is just. Now, the punishments actually, I think, seem really severe for the crime. They ate from a particular tree. Um, and, and then God just, whoa. And when we look at other punishments that are given by God, overall, as we look throughout Scripture, God tends to act far more justly much more measured and balanced. Even the principle of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is biblical. It's right there in the Bible, in the Old Testament. It's a fundamental principle of justice that the punishment should fit the crime. 
you here. It doesn't seem that way. But we have to remember what this sin is. It's the original sin. As we talked about last week, it's the root sin. It causes the root problems. And the fact that these punishments seem severe might mean that we are likely underestimating the sin that Adam and Eve instituted. God is just, and the punishments applied to them are therefore just. Another way of looking at the punishments from God are to see them as descriptive of the human condition because of what entered the world through the original sin. Right? So there's an original human nature that is to be created in the image of God. That's the original human nature. Then there's an original sin, which last week I argued the original sin is unbelief, not trusting in God. And now we're talking about an original brokenness described here in stark terms as punishment upon humanity for the original sin. And the core brokenness is a broken relationship with God. The next brokenness is a broken relationship with creation. And that's represented by the snake, right? There's this enmity now between the, the serpent and the woman and the woman's offspring and the serpent's offspring. But it's also represented by the hard work that is needed to bring fruit from the soil. We have this brokenness between human beings and the rest of creation that happens. The next is a broken relationship between men and women. And this is also bound up with a brokenness in their purpose. We need to actually see this particular part of this passage, probably the whole passage, through uh, the, through the ancient Israelite lens. Like we need to kind of understand the first uh, ones who told this story and the world that they were living with. So this is going to sound very different than our, our way of ordering human life and society today. Back then, the man's purpose was to provide for his family, essentially. The man's purpose was to make sure there's food and shelter. And now, he's going to have to work hard to do it, where he didn't have to before. It will not be pleasant to get his children fed. It will be hard, back-breaking work. His purpose in life will be fulfilled through aches and pains until he dies. That's what happened. Now, we might be okay with that, like that image, or we understand that image of, of purpose. Where we have more trouble is understanding the woman's purpose. And hear me, I'm not saying this is the way it is or should be now. I'm saying this is the way ancient Israelites thought about these things. The woman's purpose then was to provide children, not for her, but for her husband. Okay? In those times, in that place, the husband owned the children and owned his wife. And her job was to get him children. Which is why when you find in the Bible when uh, a woman is barren or unable to give children, it's such a huge deal for men and women. And so this actually gives us a bit of context for the woman's punishment. So her purpose is now going to be fulfilled through pain and suffering the same way the man's purpose is going to be fulfilled through pain and suffering. So she now has pain in 
childbirth when she's doing the thing that she's supposed to do. Now, to make things even more difficult for women, the woman could try and avoid the pain of childbirth and just not have children, except that part of the, the curse upon her is that her desire will be for her husband. In other words, her desire will be to please him, but the relationship between them will be one of him ruling over her. In other words, if he demands children, then she has to try to fulfill that demand. So she can't get out of her situation very easily. This is a really sad state of affairs. We have a fancy word for describing this relationship, this broken relationship. It's actually called patriarchy. And patriarchy, you'll see here, is a curse. It's not intended. It's not what God wanted. It's what comes as a result of their root sin. It's a twisting of how things were intended to be. We know that because we can look at when Eve was created. When Eve was created, it was because God saw that it was not good for Adam to be alone, and she was creator as a helper who complemented him. The curse upon them because of sin twisted that. He becomes the ruler over her. And this has had devastating consequences. And we might like to think that maybe we're beyond these consequences, maybe we're beyond patriarchy, but the truth is we're not. Women are still treated consistently as objects rather than people in all kinds of contexts, from the slave trade to advertising campaigns to remarks that are made in workplaces still today. We might like to think that we're also beyond the other broken things, like beyond a broken relationship with the earth and with the animals, but we are far from that if we really think about it, right? We're far from this. We might like to think that we're also beyond this broken relationship with our purpose and our work, but, but we're not beyond that either. It's not that men are out there slaving away by the sweat of their brows, but is anybody stressed in their workplaces today? Is anybody having a hard time in their jobs? It seems worse now than ever. The final brokenness for human beings, though, is their mortality. Adam and Eve are banned from the tree of life. Why? Well, last week we talked about their core sin being unbelief. Essentially, they didn't trust God to give them life. They decided for themselves what would be best and took from the tree that they weren't supposed to take from. Had they been allowed to stay in the garden and live forever after doing that, they would have forever continued to perpetuate their choice to rely on themselves rather than on God. They would never let God be God because that's essentially what they were doing. They were taking God's place and saying, well, we don't trust you. They would never let God be God and would instead replace God with something else. Most likely, they would replace God with themselves. This should sound familiar to us because we do it as well. The human beings are reminded that they are not God in very stark terms. Life is now hard and life now ends. Their only hope for respite or restoration is with God. They must depend on God for their crops to grow. They must depend on God for successful childbirth and healthy children. And in death, they must depend on God for life beyond. Now, it sounds like it's all punishment from God, but that's not the whole story. 
Because notice what God doesn't do. God doesn't abandon Adam and Eve, does he? He doesn't abandon human beings. He doesn't say, well, you've messed this up, so get out of my garden, and I don't care what happens to you. He doesn't do that. God instead accepts the new reality that's been created because of sin and works something perhaps more beautiful and powerful where eventually sin and death will be overcome and all of this brokenness will be repaired. This is God's grace. And God's grace is evident in a, in a very simple line in our story. Verse 21 in our story. And the Lord God made garments of skin for the man and for his wife and clothed them. That doesn't sound like he did very much there, does it? But think about what he's doing. They're naked and ashamed, and so they hide from him. Now God, yes, he kicks them out of the garden. But he also accepts their reality and says, okay, I'll give you clothes so we could still have a relationship. <laughs> That's what he's doing. Yeah, you're not going to get over the shame easily. So let's work this out. Here are some clothes so that we can, we can work this out. His grace is there even from the beginning. Now, sin entered in and everything changed, and you can't go back to how it was before. He can't just zap, change their minds, and change who they are back to the way they were. The consequences of sin cannot easily be undone. They can't go back to the garden, and we can't either. At least not with something really dramatic taking place. We actually need, uh, we need these clothes to be washed clean. Revelation 22, verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they will have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. This is the new heaven and the new earth been given by God. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Earlier in Revelation, it talks about these robes that are washed in the blood of the Lamb. Now, that's not saying, it's not talking about literally. It's meaning Jesus' death. Jesus died for us. In Jesus, the, the dramatic thing has taken place. that we. It, it, it's not that we will return to the garden. It's that there's a whole new garden created, and God puts us in it, in Jesus. In Jesus, God takes on the final punishment for sin. Jesus takes all that suffering, all that brokenness, all that pain, and all that death that is in the world because of sin, and he himself is completely broken for us. He gets rid of it. It removes the brokenness from us, and it opens up a way for us to have our life with God fully restored. It's quite amazing what God does for us in Jesus Christ. This is the long road that God took and that God takes with us 
to restore things. In Jesus, we, we get to have that relationship with God again. The same way that they had it before they ate the fruit. But we also have something else. We have the whole story of God sticking with us and offering us grace over and over again. So it might be more complicated, but it's somehow more full. The sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. In Jesus, we get to go and walk with him again. 